The following program contains mature content matter. Listener discretion is advised. Since the dawn of time, the world has been plagued by demons and monsters, cloaked by the night and shadows. However, humanity found out about these creatures and sent out brave men and women to defend their homelands. These are the tales of the monster hunters. Our story opens on a warm May day in 1998 as Joe Domenico is in his backyard working on his vegetable garden. Joe's train of thought is suddenly interrupted when he hears his daughter Stella call out to him. Joe groans and then steps out of the garden and now sees Stella standing there with her seven-year-old twin sons Bruno and Pat. Both boys are wearing their school uniforms, with Bruno's looking worse for wear. Hey, what's wrong here? What's going on? You okay? This one got in trouble for fighting again. Joe looks down at Bruno, who's looking back at him. Pasquale, eh? What the Pasquale do? I wanted to tell you I got an A on my math test. Oi, good for you, Pasquale. I don't know what else to do, Dad. He knows he's not supposed to fight, but he doesn't listen to me. I go talk to him. Fine. Come on, Pat. But I want to stay here and listen to Nono yell at Bruno. Now, Pasquale. Pat now follows after his mother, as Joe continues to stand there looking down at his grandson, and then looks in the direction his daughter walked off in. He then steps towards Bruno, who continues to look at him. Bruno, what are you fighting for, huh? You told me it was okay to fight, Nono. Rosaccio, I know. My wife today. Why are you fighting a scholar today for? I was playing monsters with Pat, and three boys came over to us and told us we were stupid. I told them they're stupid and that monsters are real, because my Nono told me so. Huh? What happened then, huh? I punched the first boy in the stomach, and the other boy pushed me to the ground. I punched him between his legs. Dear mother of God, you beat up two boys? Yes. And what about the third, huh? I was gonna kick him between the legs, but the teacher came over and grabbed me by my ear. She did that tear? Joe now notices the red mark on Bruno's ear. What the Pasquale he has done, eh? He ran to the teacher. Bruno, send on on. You gotta stop fighting, especially with more than two people. Gabish. But no, no. They said you were stupid. What was I supposed to do? Como? They said no more stupido? Yes. Little bastard. Am I in trouble for sticking up for you, Nono? No, Nipode. No, no. Mama said I was. Bruno runs off as Joe begins to walk towards the house and enters through the patio door and into the kitchen. There, he sees Pat sitting at the table, having a snack, while Stella washes dishes. Pasquale, Venica! Ma, per che you not help your brother with these bullies, eh? What's wrong? Mama told us to always get a teacher instead of fighting. We're not allowed to fight, Nono. But you left Bruno alone to defend himself. I had to get a teacher. Sometimes you have to do the right thing. 
Even if it means doing what your mother told you, no, Afari, gabish. But I don't want to fight. Then I'll get hurt. Non de preoccupare. Nonno's gonna teach you both how to fight. Leave it to me. What's going on here? Nonno is gonna teach me how to fight. Joe stares at Pat, who smiles very happily at him. Pat, go to your room. Why? Go to your room. Am I in trouble? You will be if you don't do what I tell you. Pat finishes off his glass of milk and takes the two cookies off his plate before he gets up and walks away. Dad, I don't want you teaching him to fight. So what? It's okay when a Bruno has to fight his battles for him? Huh? Well, maybe if someone didn't tell him it was okay to fight, he wouldn't be in trouble so much. They have to learn how to fight and defend themselves. Just like they need to know about all the evil things you hunt. Tu lo sai what they need to know? Perché monsters? Tutti sti gamori are real. <sighs> I know, Dad, but you also don't need to come on so strong with it. Stella, it's a time. It's time for me to start training Bruno. He's ready. Uh, I... I thought you were going to train the boys together when the time came. No, I will not train Pasquale. What? Pasquale is not like he's a brother. He no have what it takes to fight the monsters. He's seven years old, Dad. You can't just make that call. Come. Sure I can. I'm doing my grandson a favor. You are doing no such thing. If you do not train Pat, you will not train Bruno. Stella, please. You don't know what you're talking about. Please. No, Dad. You don't know what you're saying. Pat loves you so much. If you exclude him and start spending time training Bruno, he, it'll crush him. I'll do other things with him. Dad, do you want me to tell Mom? No. Keep her out of this. I will train them both. Oh, good. Stellano kisses Joe on the cheek. Give Pat a chance, Dad. He may just surprise you. Stella walks out of the kitchen. Certo, because you know como we hunters love the surprise, eh? A few days later, Joe is in the backyard sitting down with Rogero, laying on the grass next to him, when Pat comes running towards him, calling for him. Pasquale! Pasquale! Itche! What's the problem? There's a monster under the bed in our room! A monster? Uh-huh! Dove Bruno? He's trying to get a monster to come out from under the bed! Joe gets to his feet as Ruggiero begins to growl. Pat eyes Ruggiero, and then sticks his tongue out at him. Come on, Pasquale! Ruggiero! today! Shut up! Joe takes Pat's hand, and they walk off towards the house. The two are soon walking upstairs when they get to the bedroom. Bruno is standing there with a stick smacking the floor with it. Bruno, what are you doing? Trying to get the monster to come out, no, no. Si sicuro c'è un monstro sotto letto. Right under that bed there? I heard it, no, no. Me too. Rogero now takes a step towards the bed and begins to growl. Rogero, Rogero, what is it? What do you hear? Rogero now begins to bark, which startles Pat, which causes Bruno to laugh. You jumped when Ruggiero barked. Scaredy Pat. I'm not scaredy, Pat. Pat now rushes towards Bruno and pushes him to the floor. Oh, oh, 
What are you doing? He's making fun of me. Yeah, because you scaredy Pat. Bruno, Tito! Pat is no scaredy-ata. Pat now sticks his tongue out at Bruno, teasing him as he gets to his feet and rushes towards his brother and grabs him. Both boys immediately stop and look up at Joe. No, no. You just said bad words. Stella suddenly calls up to Joe. Dad, can you watch the boys? I'm taking Mom to the market. See, si, okay. The boys continue to scuffle. Master! If you guys keep trying to kill yourselves! A wide-eyed Bruno now looks up at Joe. We're gonna help you kill the monster? See, si, if you both stop fighting each other. Bruno now turns to Pat and slaps him. Ow! Bruno, ma chi si pazzo? Never slap your brother, Gabishi. Why, Nono? Because that's your job? Nono would never slap you or your brother. Nebudi, Gabishi. Not for all the money. Nasto mundo. Suddenly, they hear what sounds like something sharp scratching along the hardwood floor from under the bed. Pat quickly runs behind Joe as Joe and Bruno take a step towards the bed. Rogero begins to growl and creeps towards the bed when there's a snarling noise that startles Bruno who quickly grabs Joe's hand. Pat wraps his arms around Joe's chest while Rogero begins to sniff and then barks. Rogero, Kenny, what is it? Rogero now turns to look up at Joe and begins to growl. Joe frowns and looks down at the bottom of the bed. Porca miseria. Not Serraino. What, Nono? Serraino, Bruno. The monster that creeps under your left or your bed. How do you know that, Nono? Did Ruggiero tell you that? Nono doesn't speak dog, dummy. You're the dummy. Basta! Both boys quickly stop arguing and look up at Joe. Okay, indeed. Nono needs your help, boys, okay? To kill the monster, Nono? Yes. Uh, what if the monster gets us, Nono? Your Nono will never let that happen, Pasquale. How are we going to help you? One of you or both of you have to get inside of the bed and pretend you're sleeping, okay? Send that on. Listen, listen. Why? Because San Raino comes from a line of Italian boogeymen. He will only come out from under the bed if he thinks that you are asleep. He comes from a line of ancient boogeymen that wait for the children to sleep. Then he comes out and he eats of them. Pat suddenly begins to throw up. Pasquale, Pasquale! Why did you just get a sick? He always does that when he gets scared. Pasquale, Pasquale, send on one. How are you ever going to become a great hunter if you always get the sick when you have to go fight the monster? He won't, Nono. He gets scared too easily. Silenzo, Bruno. I'm sorry, Nono. Monsters scare me. But don't you not want to be afraid of the monsters anymore? Yes. Don't you want to be a strong hunter just like your Nonno Joe, huh? How can I be like you, Nonno? You never get scared. Pasquale, everybody gets scared. Even your Nonno. You do? When I was your age, I used to get scared more than you. But then one day, you know what happened? What? Nonno, he said to himself, I'm not going to be scared anymore. And then you know what happened next? No. Then Nono was scared no more. And he was able to become strong and be a good Nono to the two of you. So what do you think, Pasquale? You want to be scared all of the time? Or do you want to stop being scared and grow up and be a strong hunter just like your Nono? I don't want to be scared anymore. 
Me either, Nono. Joe turns to look at Bruno. Remember, Bruno, who are you kidding? I don't think anything scares you. A soft snarl comes from underneath the bed as they all turn to look. <sighs> okay, we have to kill this monster before your mama and Nona get to home. How do we do that, Nono? First, you, Pat, gonna go under the sink, down in the kitchen, get a bucket, soap, gloves, water, and some rags, and bring it up to me. Will that kill the monster, Nono? No, but it will clean and kill all the smell and germs on the floor. Now go. Pat quickly runs off. How do we kill the boogeyman, Nono? The Serraino does not like bright light. So, Kifajemus, you pretend you're sleeping. I wait. When the Serraino comes out from under the bed and is just about to get you, I open the curtains and the light is going to hurt him. Will the bright light kill it? Like a vampire? No, no. The light's not going to kill him, but it's going to make him weak enough for me to kill him. How? With an iron and a knife. Iron is deadly to the Sarayenos. Oh, like silver is to werewolves. Very good, Bruno. Now come with the nonno. We need to go get that knife. Ruggiero, you stay here. A few minutes later, Pat walks into the room with the bucket and the other items Joe told him to bring and stops when he sees Bruno and Joe are gone. He looks towards Ruggiero who looks over at him, and then sticks his tongue out at him. Rogero barks, and then Pat pretends he's going to step towards him, which prompts Rogero to sit up and bark. Pat clenches his fist and waves it at Rogero. He looks at the small area of vomit, then opens the bottle of cleaner and begins to pour it inside the bucket of water. Suddenly, he hears shuffling from under the bed. Wide-eyed Pat looks down towards the bottom of the bed, and now sees a dark, hairy arm reach out from under the bed. Rogero begins to bark and moves towards the bed as the boogeyman begins to drag itself out from the darkness under the bed and gets upright. It's brown and scaly in some parts with the rest of its body covered in brown hair. It looks down at Pat with its one big red eye revealing its razor sharp teeth from its open mouth. Rogero leaps towards the boogeyman but with one hard swipe of its right arm sends Rogero to the floor. <laughs> the boogeyman begins to chuckle as it stalks towards Pat, who is frozen on the spot. The boogeyman opens up its arms as its long purple tongue begins to lick its lips. Pat snaps out of the trance he's in when he realizes that in his hands is the bucket. And before the boogeyman can come any closer, Pat splashes the entire contents of the bucket towards it, which stops it dead in its tracks. The skin of the boogeyman begins to sizzle and smoke as it steps back and palms its face as the flesh falls into its hands. Joe runs into the room with Bruno, who both look on at the reeling monster as its skin continues to melt all over its body. Bruno, grab a finish, open the curtains now! Bruno runs to the curtains and pulls them open as the sunlight now comes through the window, shining onto the tortured flesh of the Sayorino. Joe, armed with the iron knife, runs towards the boogeyman and impales the iron blade into its chest. The boogeyman lets out a horrible screeching noise as its head falls back and then its entire body lights up and dissolves to the floor into a pile of flesh and bones. Joe looks at the water on the floor and sniffs it, and then looks at Pat. Pasquale, my, you mix the chemicals with the aqua with the water? Yes, Nono. How did you know it was a hurt the Sarayino? I didn't, Nono. 
I got scared and did it. I'm sorry. Why are you sorry? Because I got scared again. No, not be sorry. You showed Nono here you're gonna be a very good hunter. How? Fear can be a very good ally when you hunt. You use that fear today to hurt that fucking monster. So I did good? Bravissimo, Nipode. Bravissimo. But no, no. You said the monster would not come out until it thought we were asleep. No lo so. Forse chueva fami. Maybe she couldn't wait to eat. Or the Sayanero could understand what you were talking about, Nono, and wanted to eat me before you came back. Dummy, monsters can't understand what we're saying. No, no, Bruno, Pat is right. Maybe I knew Nono's plan all along. Perché sta fatto cafato? That's why I did what I did. Joe now motions both of his grandsons to come towards him. Listen to Nono, boys. These monsters, never underestimate them. Perkis to the Beneran, Petutus to Dembo. They know how to adapt, how to survive. You must respect them, even though you have to kill them. Never forget that, or it could be deadly to you. Yes, no, no. One last thing. Your mother and nonna never capite che succeduto here today. Never they supposed to know, okay? Okay. Okay, Pat, run downstairs, fill up the bucket with the horrible water, and pour the bag of the garbage, and if you want to put it in the we'll put the monster inside the bag, okay? Hurry up, hurry up! What about Ruggiero, Nono? Joe looks towards Ruggiero, who is still unconscious. Ruggiero will be fine, he just needs to rest. At that moment, they hear Stella and his wife walk in. Dad, we're home. Uh-oh. See? Uh-oh, Bruno. Kiche, what is it? There is something I think you need to know about Pat. Kane, what is it? What's wrong? Pat, what are you doing with that garbage bag and that bucket of water? Nono needs to put the dead boogeyman that I helped kill inside the bag, Mama. And I have to clean up the vomit on the floor. Dad? Pat's not able to keep secrets. It was an unusually cool August night in Tuxedo City. On this night, I was looking forward to spending time with my girlfriend after my shift. But Christy had called me an hour earlier and had to cancel our plans for this evening. It was a shame, because I was planning to take her up to the lake and propose to her under the full moon. It was shortly after 9.30 when Prasad reached out to me and asked me if I would be available to drive a hunter around the city after my shift ended. I told him unless it was one of the Dominico brothers, Bruno or Pat, I would do it. Prasad assured me it was neither one of those maniacs, which made sense because neither one rarely hunted without the other. Prashad told me who it was and let me know where I was to pick him up. Once I had dropped off my last fare, I was headed towards Midtown towards a local watering hole called the Bronze Tap to pick up Dalton. As I rolled towards the bar, I saw Dalton outside waiting, drinking a beer. Dalton was a mountain of a man, and fleet of foot I may add. He was wearing faded blue jeans with a black t-shirt that looked like he was ready to split in the chest area. I stopped along the curb and Dalton got in. Dalton? Taylor? You know open alcohol is not allowed in this cab. I know. I was expecting to see Naveen tonight. How did you get stuck with me? My girl canceled our plans. Oh yeah. I remember you telling me about her. Misty was her name, right? Christy. That's what I said. 
Sorry, I must have had the wind in my ears. Where are we going? Springer Park. Springer Park? That's what I said. What's the problem? Christie's apartment's not too far from there. I answered, afraid to ask my next question. What are you hunting? Werewolf. And there it was. Of all the horrible monsters lurking out there, it had to be a damn werewolf. Don't fret. If it all goes well tonight, that werewolf would be a bad memory. And if by chance you're not able to make the werewolf into a bad memory? Then make sure her and anyone else she knows in the area stay out of the park at night. For the entire trip to Springer Park, I kept to myself while thoughts of the doom and gloom paraded through my mind. When we finally arrived, Dalton went through his side bag and pulled out his magnum and began to load silver bullets into the chambers. Once the gun was loaded, he told me to stay in the car and then got out. What are you doing? He asked surprised to see me as I got out of the cab and then walked around to him. I thought I told you to wait in the cab. Yeah, you did. Then why are you here? I'm going to help you kill this werewolf. Have you lost track of your senses? Do you know how dangerous this is? I don't care. The park is a hop, skip, and jump from where Christy lives. I don't see how I can sit in the cab and do nothing. Dalton went quiet, and I could see the wheels in his mind were turning and processing everything I just said to him. What would you do if it was your wife? Would you just sit on your hands and do nothing? Dalton groaned and looked at me hard. At that moment, I really thought he was going to knock me out, just to keep me out of harm's way. <sighs> Fine, damn it. But you stay out of my way, and you do every damn thing I tell you. Got it? Yes, got it. Dalton frowned and gave me an objecting look before he turned and began to walk off as I followed closely behind him. Not that I doubt your hunting skills, but are you sure the werewolf is in this park? It was at that moment that I heard a long, loud howl that filled the air. Pretty sure. I stood there frozen in fear as I looked up into the sky. There's no shame if you're scared, Taylor. Just go and wait in the cab. I'm, I'm not scared, I told him, lying through my teeth. Uh, fine, but stay close and keep your ears open. These werewolves are quick and can be on you before you know what is going on. Okay, got it. We began to walk ever so slowly while Dalton kept his gaze forward and took in every sound. I did my best to walk quietly as I could and turn my ears into radars like his. But the truth was, I was terrified. I had heard many stories about werewolves and what they did to you. You can forget that open casket. We continued to walk along through the dimly lit park when Dalton suddenly stopped. My heart froze, and I felt a cold sweat over my body. What is it? Why are we stopping? <laughs> What's so funny? Dalton chuckled a bit longer, which unnerved me even more. I wanted to grab his arm and get him to tell me already, but I did not want to lose the use of my hand. The werewolf. What about it? Crafty bugger is hunting us. I'm sorry. Come again? I think I still have that wind in my ears. It's hunting us? It sure is. So it could be just waiting to pounce on us? And turn us into chum? Or worse. What could be worse than turning us into chum? It bites you and turns you into one of them. Great. Great. So either way, we're screwed. Happy you tagged along now? I didn't answer him. My fear had begun to turn into adrenaline. Much as I wanted to turn and haul ass, the other part of me wanted to find it and destroy it. As we started up again, a howl began to hoot. I thought to myself it was trying to tell me to get out of here. But if the werewolf was in fact hunting us, as Dalton pointed out, 
I wouldn't get far. As we moved along, something had spooked Dalton, and he stopped immediately, raising his hand to me, which I assumed meant to stay silent and don't move. He looked at me momentarily, and then looked around us. Looking up into the trees, shining his lamp, he frowned, then looked ahead of him, shining his lamp to one of the bigger trees just off to his right, when suddenly... There was a loud growl and the werewolf leaped down at him from the opposite tree, knocking the big man to the ground. I looked in horror, fear having frozen me on the spot as Dalton wrestled with the beast to keep it from biting him. When I saw he had dropped the magnum, Dalton cursed as the werewolf tried to put the bite on him. I wanted to scream at the beast to get off him, like that would have worked, but I could not speak. I looked back at the magnum which was within my reach, and then at the two, as Dalton managed to strike the werewolf in the face which made it angrier. Taylor! The gun! Pick it up now! Now! I can't hold this thing much longer! My feet felt like they were glued to the ground. I looked down at the magnum, then at the two. Strong as Dalton was, the werewolf was beginning to overpower him. There wasn't much time. I finally managed to move and began to step towards the magnum and picked it up. I could not believe how heavy this thing was. As I struggled to raise it, the werewolf now looked at me and raised itself up. Now, Taylor, shoot it! I aimed the magnum as best I could, without dropping this hand cannon at the werewolf, as it began to stalk towards me. I'm not sure what happened next. All I heard was gunfire that sounded like a cannon going off, and the recoil of the magnum sending me to the ground in a heap. I looked up, expecting to see the beast over top of me, ready to turn me into chum. But it wasn't there. I sat up, my shoulder feeling like it was run over, and first looked up at Dalton, whose back was to me. I wanted to ask him what happened, but instead I grunted and slowly got to my feet and stepped towards him. When I stopped next to him, I saw what he was looking at, to my shock and horror, laying dead on the ground with a hole through her chest, was Christy. Christy! Christy! Dalton looked at me and put his arm on my shoulder as I tried to make sense of what was happening, as my world came crashing down all around me. (sighs) Taylor, I'm... I'm so sorry. I ignored him, then dropped to my hands and knees and looked over her, tears filling my eyes as I buried my face in my hands and began to cry. As I cried, one question burned in my mind. How long? How long had she been a werewolf? Had she been afflicted after we started dating? Or had she been one the whole time? Either way, this made me the dumbest son of a bitch on the planet. All the while, Dalton was behind on the phone. Speaking with someone, I heard him call Rashford. That's correct, Rashford. Springer Park. Get here soon as you can. As Dalton ended his call, I took a long shaky breath and got to my feet, looking down at Christy the whole while. (sighs) Taylor, I can't begin to... But I cut him off there. I didn't want to hear it. To hear it would make it permanent. Dalton patted me on the shoulder, then left me alone to grieve. Everything I knew about werewolves, I had learned from various hunters I had befriended. They all explained the lore to me. The full moon, and the werewolves who did not need the full moon to turn into the beast. But the one question I never asked, was it possible for the host, when they were in the state of werewolf, to recognize a loved one? And if they did recognize you, was there anything that would stop them from harming you? I don't know. And who knows if anyone else knew. The one thing I did know was that after this night, this would be the most vivid memory I would have of Christy.
It's shortly after midnight when Bruno drives into a residential neighborhood and stops. Okay, Bruno, what are we doing here at this time of night? Settle down. Your mom's asleep. Isn't like she's going to know you're gone. No, my mom doesn't go to sleep until she watches all her late night talk shows. Wonderful, Reggie. Now pay attention. For tonight, I am going to show you how to hunt trolls. Trolls? We're not equipped to hunt trolls. Not those type of trolls, dummy. Then, uh, what type of trolls are you talking about? Internet trolls. Internet trolls? Correct. I'm confused. I'm not surprised. How do you hunt internet trolls? There are many types of internet trolls, Reggie, but tonight I thought we would start with something easy. Such as? MCU trolls. MCU trolls? Is there an echo? Okay, how are you going to hunt MCU trolls? Watch and learn. The DCU is better than the MCU. That's it? Give it a moment, Rambo. Reggie suddenly sees socially awkward men filtering out into the street, muttering to themselves, looking for the source of this blasphemy. Uh, uh, who are these people? Marble trolls. To them, you can't see a thing about their precious MCU. The MCU is perfect, anything else is garbage. And heaven forbid, if you disagree with them, you're an idiot and open yourself up to a brainless debate with a bunch of losers. Why do they all look the same? Very simple. They all either live in their parents' basement or live in an apartment and hoard all their cash, eating frozen chicken wings or frozen dinners. And they travel alone to various parts of the world to watch their favorite female pop stars. Do you think at one point of their sad lives they traveled to England to watch the Spice Girls? Only the ones with polished Spice tattoos on their arm. Reggie notices the crowd beginning to get uneasy. Uh... What's wrong with them? They haven't had anything to cry about for the last five minutes. Can we go then? You made your point. After this? After what? I want to show you how to hunt another type of internet troll. Which ones are those? And for the record, I freaking love Brie Larson and Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel is one of the best MCU movies! No sooner have the words left Bruno's mouth than more and more socially awkward men come filtering out from between the houses into the street. What type of internet trolls are those, Bruno? Internet haters, Reggie. Haters who hate the Captain Marvel movie because they hate women empowerment and hate the fact that Brie Larson is a reminder of another pretty woman they'll never ever get close to. Wait, that's it? What do you mean? Aren't you going to show me how to hunt any more internet trolls? There's lots more out there than these poor excuses for human beings. You're right, Reggie. There definitely is. Then what are we waiting for? This neighborhood is not big enough to hold that many sad losers. Hmm. Yeah. You're probably right. Bruno begins to walk back to the car, while Reggie takes one last look at the growling mass of internet trolls before he turns and follows after Bruno. Our story opens as Scarlet is inside the home of a wealthy man named Lester Person. Unfortunately for Lester, Scarlet is there to collect his soul. Whoa! Look at this place! Seems like a waste that he'll be giving all of this up shortly. Scarlet begins to walk through the first floor looking over the various paintings hanging in the hallway, when one of them catches their eye. Bloody hell! Is that an Alfred Sisley? Once they looked over the painted landscape, Scarlet walks away, stopping at the dining room. They step in and immediately see the liquor cart not too far from them. As they step towards it, they're surprised at the bottle of whiskey. Oh my. 
That's a bottle of Glengoyne 30 year old single malt whiskey. Be a shame if I didn't help myself to a drink or two. Scarlet opens the bottle, grabs a glass, and then pours themselves a very generous amount of whiskey. When one is about to drink something as good as this, you should always drink to something. <sighs> I'll drink to Lester's health. <laughs> Look at this. Not even a nip, and I'm talking like I'm knackered. Ah. Oh well. I'll drink to myself then. Bottoms up. Scarlet downs the whiskey and then breathes hard. Oh. Bloody good stock this is. When I'm done here, I'll be taking that bottle with me. It's not like Lester will be needing it anymore. Scarlet walks out of the dining room towards the stairs and then begins to walk upstairs. Once upstairs, they look down the hall and see the light coming from one of the many rooms. Licking their lips and wanting another drink of whiskey, Scarlet walks towards the room and pushes open the door. Inside, Lester is sitting behind his desk, joystick in hand, playing a video game. Scarlet watches the middle-aged man as he yells and curses, then walks towards the chair in front of the desk and has a seat. Ugh, this is so sad. Son of a bitch! Stupid freaking game! Scarlet looks around the room and at the three windows, wondering which one it is that Lester is going to fall through. I designed this damn game! How's it- I can't beat it! And what game is it that we're having difficulty with? Scarlet gets to their feet, then walks around the desk, and stops behind where Lester is seated and looks towards the large monitor. Soldier of Fortune! He designed Soldier of Fortune! No wonder I recognize this git's name! Damn this game! He designed this game and he can't even beat it! Bloody hell, I beat this game the first time I played it! Took me only 12 hours or so. Why did I ever design such a complicated game? Complicated. The only complicated thing here is why you can't beat it, you wanker. Lester drops the controller and then gets up and walks away from the desk towards the wet bar in the corner of the room. Scarlet watches Lester for a moment as he begins to pour himself a drink and then sits down and begins to play. Lester turns to look towards the desk when he hears the game's music. Surprised by this, he puts his drink down and begins to walk back towards his desk. Once he's walked around, he's surprised when he looks towards the monitor and sees the game has been beaten. He then sees his profile name has now been changed to Wanker. How did this... how is it... By the wet bar, Scarlet is happy to see that there is another bottle of 30-year-old malt whiskey. They take a glass and begin to pour themselves a drink, then realize that Lester is now looking in their direction and that they have inadvertently made themselves visible. Oh, fuck. Lester looks on as sheer terror begins to fill him up, as he suddenly realizes who the black-robed figure pouring themselves a drink is. Oh no, oh no. Death, you've come for me. Why? Now, now, settle down, Lester. Let's not do anything rash. Stay back. Stay away from me. I'm pretty handy with this gun. I'll shoot you. Come on now, Lester. Do you really think you can kill death? Lester fires off two futile shots. Apparently so. Stop. I will shoot again. Lester, you're just embarrassing yourself now. Let's just talk about this. Why? So you can tell me everything is going to be okay? Exactly. If everything's going to be okay, then why is death here? 
Lester fires again, striking the bottles on top of the wet bar. Scarlet turns and is mortified to see the bottle of 30-year-old malt whiskey has been hit. You bloody wanker! I told you not to shoot. Now you went and destroyed a perfectly innocent bottle of Glengoyne 30-year-old single malt whiskey. Scarlet begins to walk towards Lester, who has walked around his desk and finds himself standing in front of the open window. Don't come any closer. Why? You gonna shoot me again? We both know how well that ended for the bottle of whiskey. I don't care about some stupid whiskey. <gasps> Blasphemy! I got lots of bullets, and we'll keep shooting at you until- Bloody hell. But as Lester had begun to back up, he did not realize how close he was to the open window, and then falls backwards, <sighs> plummeting to his death. Oh, great. Scarlet steps towards the open window, and then looks down at the crumpled body of Lester Person. A small white ball now appears in their hand, and then floats down to where Lester is laying. The white ball now begins to light up as it nears Lester's body, and then lands on top of his chest, and pulls his soul out. The white ball begins to float back up into the air, and out of sight. <sighs> well, this is going to be another ten more years added to my punishment. But at least I'll still have that bottle of whiskey downstairs to keep me company. Thank you for listening to the Volume 1 Annual of Tales of the Monster Hunters podcast. Created by Antonio and Enzo Ferrara. Directed and produced by Antonio and Enzo Ferrara. Cover art by Enzo Ferrara. Written by Antonio Ferrara. This issue starred Enzo Ferrara as Joe. Roberta Jackson as young Bruno. Val Shaw as young Pat. Raven Batonio as Stella. Ashley Tyler as Scarlet. Nicholas Sykes as Dalton. Brock Overbay as Taylor. Corbins as Lester. Paul Cairns as Reggie, and Antonio Ferrara as Bruno. Narrated by Alexander Ferrara. Editing and music by Alexander Ferrara. Coming on Monday, September 10th, 2023. Tales of the Monster Hunters Podcast, Volume 2, Issue 1. Wolf Way Did He Go? This presentation of Tales of the Monster Hunters Podcast has been brought to you by Giant Monster Productions. Copyright 2023. To contact Giant Monster Productions, Email them at giantmonsterprod at hotmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at GiantMonsterPro and on Instagram at Tales of the Monster Hunters. If you have enjoyed this podcast and want to hear more, please subscribe, like, and favorite so you never miss an episode.